Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF Public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sessingham, and I host Florida Matters along with Carson Cooper. I'm here in the studio with Florida Matters producer, Stephanie Colombini. Hi, Stephanie. Hey. And also joining us today is Jeanette Abramson. She's a journalism instructor at the University of South Florida. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m., Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7 or streaming on WUSF.org. Well, this week on Florida Matters, we explored Progress Village again, Tampa's first low-income housing suburb. This was the second part of a two-part series. We had so many great stories and so many great interviews that we turned it into a two-part series, which is kind of unusual for the show. Um, So Jeanette, you got the students organized, got out there and rounded up people for these really oral histories is is what they were. They were talking about um, Progress Village going back to the 1960s when it first started. So how did you come up with this project and, and walk us through how you got people to participate. We did a lot of research in the summer before the semester even began and decided, yeah, Progress Village is the one that we think is Why? really interesting. Um, well, just the foundation of it. The It's born out of segregation. I mean, there's so much history. And the journalism students are trying to learn, like, how do I cover issues of racism? How do I cover gentrification? How do I talk about these problems and um, we look at, I mean, some of these students like didn't know a president before Barack Obama. So it's yeah. it's a really interesting time to be a journalism student and a journalism teacher because we really have to teach them um, context and these really big issues that sometimes seem really distant to them. Like it wasn't that long ago that Progress Village was founded. And I thought that was fantastic because then they could meet these people who went through this in real life, like this was their life. Um, now, your students, we don't hear their voices on the show, but they conducted the interviews. Were they nervous? They were, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were, I think, a little bit. But they had done um, pre-interviews, so we had actually. It was many steps before we got to the actual interview. How events. did you find the? How did you find the residents to come forward and uh, talk? to your students? Um, First, we did a lot of research. So we looked on YouTube. We found the Emanuel Peace Center um, opening and the ceremony. And we listened to a few people speak about that center. Um, And then we just looked at people who had been interviewed in the past. And we kind of started looking into, okay, how do you find people to talk to? And that was a really good start. That was a good starting point. And so um, my students had an assignment where they had to pre-interview people in the community before we even got to the interview event. So find somebody from a church, from a school, from a barber shop, from a restaurant, a laundromat, go into the actual community and talk to people. And I think that's the hardest first step for a lot of young people because talking to strangers seems so foreign, but that's 
that's the job. Like you get used to it. I think when you've been a journalist for a while, it's more comfortable. But right. I wanted them to kind of have that experience before the interview events. I'm interested in the experience of the students. What were they saying to you then? Were they moved by the stories that they were hearing? Were they surprised? Did they become attached to any of the people they were interviewing? What were their experience? Were they, was anyone like uh, rude to them? No, actually, they were very nice. I I don't I don't think I heard anybody have any negative experiences. I think they were overwhelmed with excitement. That's not journalism then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a very good starting uh, experiment for them before they get into the real world. But um, but I think it was just overall a very welcoming experience for everybody. I think um, the students and then all of us and the people there were just excited about it. It was fun. It was a really cool event and it was really positive. I think that was one of the things that maybe surprised a lot of the students that so many people were positive about it Um, because we talked about preparing yourself like how do you talk to somebody about racism and segregation and gentrification and they didn't hear that much about that right and it and I think that surprised them that these people are so positive and there are things going on and it's okay to tell stories from different perspectives and I like that they, you did the story course style because these are real people. So that's not just a stereotype of an issue that we discuss in class, but you can get to know them and and maybe racism is part of it because that's that's why Progress Village was created. But they've come so far and yet they have so much farther to go, but there's so much positivity and community support there. I don't I think, think they looked great. at it as that they were living there because of racism. I mean, I didn't hear get any of that impression. They loved the community. Right. They were proud to be there. They just seemed very proud residents of Progress Village. It wasn't, I don't, I didn't get the feeling of we've been put into an internment camp or anything like that. We've oh, been no. separated. I don't think that that no, was it. No. And I had interviewed one of the founding members, Emmanuel P. Johnson, who the center's named after. In and part I, one. In part yeah. one. So check it out. Mm-hmm. And that's something I had asked him one-on-one. I said, did you feel, you know, oh, wow, these white people people are giving us permission to like have this neighborhood did you feel that way but considering what was happening at the time um the opportunity to have a community where they could you know where african americans could buy homes and become homeowners and build this community themselves mr johnson was very proud of that so i that's i just got pride that's not to say that everybody was hunky-dory holding hands. The KKK was, until the H- Hillsborough County um, banned them from the area, they were, like, down the block from Progress Village. Because it was a rural area. Right. It was and out in the country. Were a, there was certain roads you were not going to walk on. And Mr. Johnson told me about a man that was horribly attacked on his way home from work. His car broke down on the wrong street. So... There's, you know, I don't want to be pretending that there was not any issues of racism back in the 60s, even within their safe walls. But within Progress Village, um, they had a community and they had white teachers, a tight knit community and so much pride and so much community. And I was saying so much warmth when you hear these stories. They talk about the um, the memories are so vivid. They talk about the the sounds, the music that they listen to, the sights, the the um, lightning bugs in the air, the the smells, the church bells pealing. The church you know, the church was such a central part, and the church bells ringing. The 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 speakers that you got. Um, gave such vivid descriptions of something that happened 60 years ago in their lives. 
Yeah, it was amazing to hear because I it makes you think about your own childhood and you're like, do I have those stories or those memories? I know, you know, I played with the kids on my block, but once we got to a certain age, now, you know, we stopped kind of speaking to each other. And right now my childhood neighborhood is pretty much everybody lives in their house and has their own life. You really don't have those neighbors just hanging out on the street, talking to each other. So you I found myself definitely envious of the people in Progress Village that, you know, everybody knew everybody and you could kind of always rely on somebody for help. We talked about that in the last part, that we felt um, we felt a little funny, like we don't want to be condescending. This was a low-income neighborhood. It was low-cost housing for, for people who uh, were suffering through segregation. But at the same time, to listen to their stories, we felt envious of the bonds of community that they had. And, um, you know, who was it? Let's see. Oh, Sharon Seabrooks is one of the is one of the women the that you that you interviewed. This was a dream come true to her to be a counselor at this at the school in Progress Village. And she felt that it she says it truly was a village. You know, you, you hear it takes a village to raise a child. It truly was a village. The children were supported. And she says, um, your roots are here. It matters where you come from. I'm your neighbor. I'm here for you. And that's what, Stephanie, you're saying. I don't know. I don't know if my neighbor's there for me. <laughs> right. You know? That's what I love, though, about getting to meet Emmanuel P. Johnson is, and it wasn't just him. There were so many people there. But for him, for example, it was very intentionally created like that. They created this community because they needed one another. Right. And I And they really, and they talked about, too, like you had to get each other had to get one another together at first it was like us getting street lights and mailboxes and those kind of things but it was like you had to encourage each other to vote to help with like the civic association you really it was an intentional creation to band right. together to create to build the church which was the sounded like the community center before they had a community center the church was really mm-hmm. the center of their village life they they had got together to build that. They got together to get the street lights, like you were saying. And that was really interesting. You had uh, Alfred Sheffield talking about that he was nine years old when he moved there. He loved it. His little brother was scared to death. There were no street lights. It was was pitch black outside. Um, But he really liked it. And it was interesting to hear what it what it looked like back then. Yeah, I mean, cow pastures and a few homes and so... Wild animals. Right, and so driving through now and you see the shopping centers and there's not one church, there's multiple churches. You know, there's the the school is now a magnet school where people from all over, you know, the Tampa Bay area, if they want to do performing arts and stuff, you might want to go to Progress Village to go to school. It's transformed a lot. Well, that's what, you know... They get into that a little bit, the transformation that's happened and the good and the bad of that. Um, and they talk. One thing that I think that they're worried about that I sensed in some of the speakers is as the land becomes more valuable and there's more growth, they're worried that it could be claimed for eminent domain. The houses could be knocked down They'll, you know, to put up um, a nicer development or office building. Or So this is a this is a concern they have. On the other hand, they're glad to see their home values rise. They're glad to see the the neighbor. They want to see the neighborhood improve. And um, i got to tell you, uh, Alfred Sheffield, another thing he said that struck me as funny, and maybe you have to be of a certain age to think it's funny, but 
he was talking about the concern from his neighbors that white people were moving in. <laughs> it was like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. You know, they they felt like this is a black area, and they were worried about whites moving in. And this is certainly the opposite of what you would hear in the South from 50 years ago. You know, so it's like we're looking at a mirror image of what may have happened before. Alfred said, I got to say, Alfred said, it's not a concern of mine, but definitely of people that live there. You know, some of them don't like it. Well, because <laughs> whites have a tendency when, you know, you hear about neighborhoods getting gentrified and, you know, you could maybe say it's happening in Seminole Heights, another Tampa neighborhood where now you have craft breweries where you're charging $8 a beer and, you know, things like that that crop up. And then the you communities that already out. were there, yeah, yeah, they lose their identity. So I, I can understand both sides of, you know, why people would be concerned that their their history and their identity and everything they worked so hard for could be at risk. But on just, the other time, Alfred said, you know, houses aren't being maintained. Right. Uh, you know, people are there's a lot of poor people there that can't maintain their houses. They don't look good. He said, I keep my yard up, but obviously a lot of people aren't. He feels like it's, you know, not looking great. So there's that tension there. I mean, mm-hmm. you want you want the neighborhood to be maintained, to prosper, uh, and, and to keep growing strong. On the other hand, yeah, it, it had this fantastic history and identity, and, you know, it's going to be very difficult to, to keep that. And alive. Th- those changes, too, are, I think, pretty recent because we're reading about the census in in 2000. It was like 90 percent black still. And that wasn't yeah. that long ago. And what census was that? Uh, the 2000, 2000 in, in 2000. So years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's less than two decades ago and it was still 90 percent black. So I think a lot of people are, are that's what they talk about now because they see it happening so quickly. And even when we were driving there, it was Mary, Steffi and I were driving right. through the community and it, it was visually. I mean, you can see these little original homes like where Emmanuel P. Johnson lived Mm -hmm. right next to these big new almost luxury style rental condos like these really big buildings popping up right next right across the street yeah and I think that's happening all over the Tampa Bay area and kind of in Florida you know just on our you know a Florida Matters news roundtable that's coming up uh, in a week or so we talk about how growth in Florida is kind of what we taking off, taking off. Yeah. And so those kind of 1500 unit multifamily, you know, home developments are cropping up everywhere. And there is something a little bit, you know, copy and paste about them. And you don't have as many of those really unique neighborhoods that maybe were around 50 years ago. So it's going to be interesting to see how the whole landscape of Tampa Bay changes as more and more people come here. Now, you did meet, a lot of these were elders that you talked yes. to, but you did meet um, a young family, right? Right. London Berry and her uh, father, Bianco, they talked to us. And, oh, my gosh, she was just so intelligent and articulate. <laughs> you know, every parent's dream. She was have. very mature. Yeah, she was very mature, um, you know, and really appreciated what she has in her neighborhood, which it's nice to hear because you did hear some of the elders talk about how the younger generation might not have as much kind of pride in the community as as they did. So it it was so refreshing to hear a nine-year-old girl who was saying, 
I, you know, love that Progress Village has all of these outlets for activities so that I'm not just sitting at home on my couch and that I have these neighbors that I can talk to at softball practice when, when I feel I don't like want I to can't. talk to my parents. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought her father must be going, hmm, what, what is <laughs> what it you that you're about? not telling me? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, obviously that sense of community hasn't completely disappeared. And, and you hope that nine-year-olds like London will stick around. Because that was another thing that in every interview I, I asked some of the older people who talked about raising their kids there and how wonderful it was. And I said, well, do you think your kids will raise their family here? And actually most of them said no, that they had already moved on. And that's not necessarily because of Progress Village. A lot of them didn't even want to live in the Tampa Bay area anymore. That's American life. Exactly. You move on, you go to college or something, and you find you know start a family. But so it is interesting, and you wonder who will stick around, and maybe Londonberry will. So how has it changed? What about the culture itself? I know it's not 90% black anymore. Um, is it still nuclear families living there? Like, I mean, th- when they talked about in the 60s, they were all living with their parents. And unfortunately, you know, we don't see that a lot anymore. No, I think culturally, I think just as it's gotten bigger, you know, when it's formed in the 60s, there were a handful of homes. They called it Unit 1, were kind of the first houses built. Now there's a 2, now there's a 3. So even with it, you know, forget about the outside development. Progress Village itself is so much bigger. And I just think the culture in 2017, because, you know, I have my parents who grew up in, you know, Maryland and, you know, in totally different communities still, I do think, had that you know, back when I was a kid, every kid could be out on the street and your parents were never really concerned about where you were and you came home when it was dinner time. Absolutely. Now in every neighborhood, that's not necessarily acceptable. You're worried about safety. Everyone's got cell phones. You know, nine-year-olds have smartphones. So I just think culturally in general now that... We're more disconnected. You're more disconnected. You don't necessarily care about being at the park with your friends because you can talk to your friends at your cell phone at home. And so I think there are still those people in the community who are involved in the civic council or the at the rec center, and they're still keeping that alive. But I do think there are residents that really just live there and that's their address. And we they don't miss care. the Progress <laughs> Village for all of us. You know, right. we just miss Progress Village. We miss the idea of it. I that think. was what was so uplifting about that center because it's new. They just actually mm-hmm. built it. 2016. Um, yeah, that's a very new rec center there. And I think that that's what they were hoping is to kind of reignite that passion and that pride in the community. And um, hopefully people listening to these shows will who are living nearby maybe didn't know that it was there and might start attending because they there is a large group of people who want to keep that going and want to keep that community. And I thought that center was such a perfect place to do mm-hmm. these interviews because it was thus it was kind of have become the center of of the new type of progress village community right when i spoke with a lot of the, the people who we interviewed i called a lot of them back and just told them like hey you're gonna be on the show or i just wanted to touch base with them because we had all and many of my students too they've now created these relationships with these people and i think they felt just so much appreciation for that their stories mattered that they were able to tell their stories that somebody wanted to listen to them and i think that that's such an important thing that you do in the show to really tell the Tampa Bay communities, not just a breaking news headline here or there, but that people really get a chance yeah. to share you know, their stories and their lives. 
what was most interesting, it was telling us that you were baptized in the lake up the road and, you know, telling us that you remember the church bells as a little girl. Those kind of personal stories and the details, that's what you can't get anywhere else. That's what people connect with. Right. You can look up on, you know, Google or in a book and find out what year the church was built or who was the president of what. But it's those special stories of, you know, the lightning bugs and the candy lady and the concession stand dance to records on the jukebox. That's what kind of, you know, takes you someplace else and really feels like you got to know the community. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. And you can always find it online at WUSF.org. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.